there. Great. One of the situations that I find frequently comes up in lots of different variations uh, is, is that when a couple ends up having conflict in their relationship, uh, and, and maybe it looks something like this, um, that say, say the, 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 a man and a, a woman or a, a boy and a girl, whatever you want to call them, uh, they moved in together or they even they got married together uh, and they spent some time living together and they've got jobs, they've got their own you know, things that they're doing. Um, but let's say perhaps that the, the woman ends up getting home first, that the lady ends up getting home first. Maybe she gets home, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon or something like that because she starts earlier in the day. And so she does things around the house and uh, starts working on dinner or something like that, right? And then it happens for a while, say six months, a year, whatever, that the guy comes home about five o'clock, 5.15. Some days he's crabby, you know, and some days he's happy and just like normal people after work. Uh, and they, then they sit down and eat, eat dinner. And then all of a sudden it starts happening that uh, the, the guy is not coming home at 5.15, 5.30. You know, it's, first it's 5.15, they get phone calls, and oh, I'm, I'm helping out so-and-so, and I'm doing this project so-and-so. And, and then later on, there's not even phone calls, and then it just turns into 7 o'clock, 7.30. And I especially find it in situations like maybe they're, they're not getting along, that the relationship ends up breaking up that. Well, then it turns out later, you know, you sit down at the, the breakup conversation, and, and the guy says, well, actually, it wasn't really that I was working, it was that I, I just didn't want to come home. I didn't want to have to see you anymore, right? Uh, and what happens, of course, is that he spent six months, a year, whatever it is, the, the greater chunk, a great chunk of his life making a web of lies and deceit. He spent months working intentionally to convince her of some other truth. He, he was convincing her that he was busy, that he had a lot of things to do in life, when the reality was is he just didn't want to come home and he didn't want to face whatever conflict and difficulty they had. It was a web of, of deceit and falsehoods. And I, I have no qualms. I, I totally understand why then today with so many different webs of falsehoods, lies and deceit, why the biggest concern many people have is for authenticity for truth, whatever you want to call that. But, you know, when you talk to, to many, especially to, to younger people, the one thing that they can't stand more than anything else is the, the fake stuff, you know, the inauthentic stuff. Let's have some honesty. Stop faking it through life. And maybe you, maybe you agree with that. Maybe you don't. Maybe that doesn't matter to you at all. But I can, I can completely understand how, first of all, how some people feel God is actually a big cause of the problem or a big part of the problem. You know, that God is just as much of the deceiver in, in so much of life as anybody else. One of the constant problems as a, as a pastor that, you know, I face with people is they'll say, I have these problems and I have these hardships in life. And I thought you told me that God cares. I thought you told me that God loves me. And yet my life is always going through junk and, and hard stuff. And it's really hard to think that God loves me and he cares when my dad died or when my boyfriend broke up with me or when my girlfriend dumped me or, or you know, whatever else, right? But it feels like in those situations that God is part of the cause of the dishonesty. 
that he's the one weaving, weaving that web of, of falsehood and deceit. Now, in, in this lesson that we heard from this evening, Jesus doesn't deal directly with falsehood. The, 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 uh, the very issue that he deals with is the betrayal that Judas wants to, to carry out against him, right? Judas wants to betray him. But that's, that's because Judas is weaving a web He's the beginning of a whole web of, of lies and falsehood and deceit. And that's going to play out through all the rest of Jesus' trial. And so we're going to take this event as, of a betrayal as one piece in a much larger scheme that was enacted against Jesus. A scheme of deceit where, where people, not only the people in the, in the event, right, like people like Pontius Pilate and Judas were trying to deceive others, but where even the, the people themselves, the people of Ju Jerusalem, the people of Judea, were both deceiving and deceived. It was a big, complicated mess. And we're going to take a look at that this evening. And, and I think one of the things that we can see in this event, more than anything else, is that Jesus has a commitment, not just to authenticity, whatever you might think that means, um, but to, to honesty. Jesus has a commitment to bringing about, producing, developing honesty in you and in me. And I, I think that's one of the best things that we get out of this lesson. So Jesus is very direct in this section about deceit. He, he comes to Judas and he said, to the whole 12 and he says, one of you is going to betray me. Now that's a pretty blunt thing to say. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that if I stood up here on a Sunday and I said, well, a bunch of you are going about lying about me. You're telling lies to people about me. Uh, I don't think that you would probably find that to be the, <laughs> the best way to handle the situation, huh? It, it might be a little bit too blunt for most of us. But Jesus is, is pretty blunt. And, and it's hard to avoid, it's hard to deny the fact then that God knows deceit. God sees deceit. And more to the point, God addresses and he attacks deceit head on. He, he will not avoid it. Uh, the scriptures are full of, of all kinds of events where God, yes, there's, there's maybe deceit that we would like to see it handled differently, but where God addresses deceit head on. Uh, the, there's a great passage in Jeremiah because Jeremiah is caught in this complicated web of lies that the the people are, are trying to, uh, or I should say, especially that the king is trying to spin against Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah is this prophet who's saying, you're going to get taken off into captivity. And the king says, oh, don't listen to him. He's just a, a liar. You know, don't pay attention to him. Look, see, he got thrown in the cistern. Anyway, and so God says about Jeremiah, he says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve, right? Lord is a guy who knows the hearts and the minds of people. Uh, one of the best examples of God's attacking on, of deceit comes when they want to choose a new replacement for Judas. And they say, they pray that, Lord, you know everybody's heart. You notice there, they don't know, just know that the, the words or the actions of the people. He says, the Lord knows everybody's heart. He, he knows the motives and the motivations that you and I have for the choices we make. God will not overlook the deceit in our, in our lives. And I think this is an area where the Bible and our culture really agree, don't they? 
We are so sick and tired, and I think rightly so, of people deceiving us, lying to us, tricking us. I mean, even during the whole pandemic, the, one of the most common things that I've, I've heard from people, and you probably have as well, is not, I trust the doctor to tell me the truth. Is that the default response most people have had? It's no. No, this is, well, you know, I'm sure they're not telling us the whole story, right? Ah, I, don't, I don't think we're getting the whole story. We're missing this, this truth. Oh, you got to go watch this video, you know, then you'll get the real story of what's going on. That's, isn't that what, how we feel about even something like the situation that we're going through? That we're, we're getting the wool pulled over our eyes. We're getting deceived. And we ought to be able to look at this and say, if anybody in the world cares about getting to the truth of the matter, getting rid of the deceit, attacking the deceit, we should say, that's God. God cares. He will not let you and I live in deceit. You know, and we need to take this to heart all the way from the most basic levels in our lives up to the most complicated and intricate levels. Christians, and, and you probably have fallen into this just as easily as I have, how many times hasn't somebody said to you, hey, how you doing? And you know that oftentimes if somebody says to you, hey, how you doing as you're walking past, it's just a way for people to say hi. They don't really want you to give a 15-minute tirade that, you know, that you're doing badly. But I also know that there have been a couple of times in my life where people very pointedly could say, hey, how you doing? You don't seem well. And I was like, oh, I'm just fine, right? And I used my hands even. I used my hands to pat them on the back and blow it off and assure them, I'm all good. Everything's good. What is that? It's deceit. I'm creating, I'm creating a context to deceive them. And we don't just do that in little things. We do that all the way up to the most complicated levels of society, like the very sad incident that's happened lately with a, a very prominent defender of the Christian faith named Ravi Zacharias. Terrible story. The point is not to say that everybody is deceitful all the time. The point is to say it can happen to any of us in the littlest or the most complicated areas of our lives. And if we were to think that God is somehow okay with it, that he doesn't notice it, that he, that he just lets it go, that's, well, we're totally missing the point. And part of the reason I think that we don't, that we would never realize, we would never really take to heart just how bad the deceit is, is, is well, because of, we don't see that God really works so hard to expose deceit. Did you notice what Jesus did in the lesson? It's always struck me, right? Because Jesus says, there's somebody at this table who is going to betray me. And then, what does he do? He doesn't say to the man, Judas Iscariot, you're the guy. Does he? He doesn't just point a finger at him. What does he say? He says, it's the person to whom, whoa, I'm getting really loud all of a sudden. It's the person to whom I pass this piece of bread after I've dipped it in the dish. What's he doing there? Most commentators will point out, well, he's giving Judas an opportunity to reflect on who he is. It's a chance for Judas to realize what he's about to do. 
And, you know, the thing that makes deceit so hard for, for most of us is we don't realize that we're doing it, do we? Even those times where I blow somebody off and they say, hey, how you doing? And I say, oh, I'm good, you know, don't worry about me. I don't think to myself, man, this person really wants to get into my life and I don't want to put up with it. I should just weave a, weave a web of lies and falsehoods and try to trick them. And, oh, I can just, I can really get them. I don't think that at all. I think to them, I think to myself, oh, I don't want to deal with this right now. I'm too tired. I'm overwhelmed. And, and sometimes I don't even think of that. I just think, I don't know what's going on in my life. I can't think about this. You know, and uh, psychologists have, have come up with a tool to help you and I realize that you know, the problem with deceit goes far beyond just saying, oh, I, everybody deceives somebody else sometime. There's a tool called the Johari Window, and I've actually stuck a couple of these workbooks outside if you want when you uh, head out of here. And it, if you can go to the next slide now and show us this picture, hit up the next slide. There's this, so this is, Johari Window is a really cool tool that helps us realize more things about ourselves. And particularly, it helps us realize things that we might be hiding from other people. And so you can see in this, in this tool, even psychologists point out to us, you know, the real issue with deceit is not what we know about ourselves. The problem is that there are things you can see in the first column there that are known to ourselves. And some of them are public. That is to say, other people know them about us. You guys know that I'm a man. You know that I have a couple of kids and so on, right? And some of those things, then, are known only to myself. You might not know what grades I got at seminary, but I know, right? And, and then there's the unknown part, even of me. There's the unknown part of me. And some of those things that are unknown about me uh, are actually known to others, that's one of the reasons why when I have a call, I say to you, tell me about myself. What can I learn about myself? Because there are things about me that even you know that I don't know. But you know what the scariest area is? That bottom right corner. The things that are not only hidden from me, but hidden from you. There's one place in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, where the, uh, the writer to the Hebrews says, Encourage everybody as long as it's called day so that you won't be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We often speak of, of sin as enmity towards God, but you know one else thing that sin is, is it deceives. It deceives even the best of us. It tricks us into thinking that we've got our lives all put together, that we know ourselves and we know the people around us and we know what's going on. And maybe it's something like a tool like, like this, like the Jahari window, that will be a, something that you can use, you can look at and say, maybe I could learn something more about myself. Because maybe without even knowing it, I'm manipulating and deceiving the people in my life. And you and I can take courage, we can find relief, because we don't just have a Savior who wants to expose deceit, but we have one who entered into a web of deceit. It's impossible to, to avoid, it's impossible to not see in this whole episode how Jesus didn't embarrass Judas, but he let Judas get to the thing that he needed to do. He says, what you're about to do, do quickly. 
So that what would happen? So that Judas, Jesus himself, would be trapped in what is perhaps the most complicated web of lies in all of human history. Because it wouldn't be just Judas who betrayed Jesus, but it would, of course, eventually be Caiaphas who lied about Jesus. It would be Annas who lied about Jesus. It would be Pontius Pilate who got Jesus arrested on false pretenses. It would be Herod who falsely accused Jesus. Over and over, Jesus is going to be a man who is trapped in a complicated web of lies and deceit. He's the only one who can take on himself that intense suffering of knowing that the whole world has colluded against him to ruin his life. Can you imagine having to go through that? That not just one person or two people or even a half a dozen people are trying to make lies about you, but the whole world has come up with a grand, complicated scheme to ruin you. And Jesus went through that for you. That means that he's, I think, the only person, too, who can reveal to you and me and to the world who we really are. I, I love to think about Jesus a little bit. One way I think about it a little bit is, is as if he's the, the guy on the inside of the, the magic show. I wanted to bring a little magic trick tonight, but I decided that it was probably a little bit too far, right? But if you like to watch magic tricks, you, see, you watch the magician perform the trick, and you say, yay, good job, magician, that's so cool. And then you say, man, I wish I knew how to do that, right? And, and the thing is, is then when you can watch the magician finally explain the trick, you say, oh, that's so easy. I could have done that myself, practically. Of course, it's not, but it's, it's a great skill. But still, you, you, once you have the insider knowledge, you can say, I know what's going on. And when you and I look at Jesus, we've got a man who went through the inside of the deceit and can reveal to all of the world then what is actually going on. He's the one guy who can say, look at the cross, and on that cross, I paid for your sins and mine. They are wiped away, and not only is heaven yours, but God accepts you because of me. And I want you to discover every day what it is to live in that truth. That yes, you are more sinful than you and I realize, but you are also more forgiven and accepted. And you can enjoy that truth every day and live in that honesty. And I know I would love to live in that, wouldn't you? Let's pray for that. Lord Jesus, uh, there are so many webs and weavings of, of lies and deceit and falsehoods. We pray for your forgiveness for our own part in these things. And we realize that you directly attack all of this deceit head on so that you can get it out of our lives. We pray that we might see Jesus as the one who, who willingly entered into this web of deceit and lies for us so that he could undo it and reveal the powerful truth to us that yes, we are sinful, but God loves us more than we could ever imagine. Let us now each day live in the magician's grace, knowing that, that not only is the world ours, but even heaven is ours. And we wait for that eternity. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.